Hello and welcome to another episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. I'm your host today. Uh, my name is Billy Newman, as a matter of fact, and I'm here again to talk to you about uh, some of the photo projects and uh, initiatives I've been working on related to uh, photography, related to media, related to a few other things that I'm working on. And I guess it's, this podcast in general is just a chance for me to chat about, get out a few of the ideas that I have uh, about the uh, creative stuff that I'm trying to go through and work on and build up. So, uh, so far this week, it's been a pretty busy week. I posted uh, a few things and, and had a couple projects come together that have been pretty fun. Um, I think the main one to talk about, I'll be talking about it later too, I'm sure on, on a couple future uh, podcasts this week, but uh, the last uh, last couple of days we, we went up to the Mount Jefferson Wilderness Area um, in the Cascades here in Oregon. And so we took off from Eugene, cut up the 126, went up into the uh, Cascade Area, um, Came up into, came up into the Mount Jefferson area, uh, pretty close to evening, and then found a place to camp. Got it set up that day, and then did some kayaking the next day um, to try and well, just for fun. It's cool to go kayaking, um, but then we kind of like looked around for for photo spots too. And man, we took a ton of time on the back roads. Um, uh, it was cool. I'm really glad I have a, a, a four wheel drive truck when it comes to things like that. But we had the kayaks up top. And uh, they were strapped down on the, uh, the little Yakima racks that I have. And we took off on uh, one of these Forest Service roads um, that cuts up. So there's like a there's Forest Service Road 46. That's the main one that we were on for a good bit of the time. And our goal was to head up to this area where there's a string of mountain lakes that kind of stretch out for a little while. And uh, they're, they're up in the mountains. They're kind of up off most main roads. Uh, but still, it ends up that a lot of people end up getting up there you know, during the weekend pretty popular area especially i suppose if you live in salem or or even portland it looks like there's pretty simple ways to get down to that location of central oregon so it seems like it's a bit more accessible than what i thought but uh but man it took a long time to get through there and uh, we were we were driving in four-wheel drive for i don't know probably like two hours on the road or the route that we took and there's some heavier train there than i think what i've driven that truck on uh or at least you know as a road goes my goodness um, so we took that for a long time and went up to, uh, a couple of the mountain lakes kind of looking for the right kind of, I don't know, camping that we were hoping to find, but, uh, we found a place, it was, uh, O'Lally Lake. I think it's probably the most developed area. There was like a little lodge down there. Um, but, uh, I think it's actually, it's strange because we're in the Mount Jefferson area. We're very close to Mount Jefferson, but I think technically there's a crest of a mountain range or a crest of a ridge that separates it from the Mount Jefferson wilderness area to the Mount Hood wilderness area. And then there's a point where it switches over to the Warm Springs Indian Reservation too. So there's a few different um, different regions on the map that are all in the same location. But uh, Mount Jefferson is the important thing that you need to know about where we were at. So it was cool that that next morning after we finished uh, doing all, all the driving stuff, um, we took the kayaks out on uh, O'Lally Lake and and kind of paddled around for a while so i put a video together i've been trying to work more with uh i don't have a gopro i have a uh <laughs> i have a let's grab it here actually let's see what is this called i don't know if this is a gear review i have a, a freestyle hd from swan it's a 1080p uh, action camera pretty much the same idea as a gopro and a few mounts came with it i got it a couple years back for uh a steel really. So, uh, so that's kind of why I picked that up, but I don't really use it much for a few reasons. Uh, probably, and I don't know, just interest is, is the main one and it doesn't, it doesn't really perform as well as 
some things that I might hope, or you know, that, that image, the dream, the idea of what you wanted to get. I don't know if it really comes out with uh, with this camera. I'm sure a GoPro would uh, would far outperform this camera, but. Since this doesn't have or ever get much use, and since it doesn't really seem to hold that high a value for me, I've kind of decided that I just jump in and try and use it as much as I can, um, and just sort of burn burn through it. You know, um, if it gets destroyed doing some cool action adventure thing, I guess so be it. At this point, and then I'll just have a good excuse to go out and get a cool GoPro that I'll baby and protect and never use so hopefully that won't come to come to pass but uh but i went out with uh this action camera i put the the mount on the back of the kayak and i put one on the front of the forerunner too and so i shot a handful of clips while we were out uh one of us uh kind of four-wheeling um through the mountain roads there which uh which is pretty sweet it's got like a, a view of the kayaks and stuff so i shot that and then I uh, threw it on the back of the kayak to get some footage of that too. And it's cool. It's got that nice wide angle. You're kind of used to seeing from the GoPro footage. So there's not much shake, not much jitter. Um, and that's sort of because the focal length or you know, your angle of view is so wide. It's almost 180 degrees that there's really not that much uh, that's going to change you know, with just a, a small amount of vibration. So that's why those shots, they look so still. They look so clean. is because they're just so wide. And that angle of view um, really helps to kind of decrease that motion shake that you kind of see sometimes. Um, but it doesn't do everything to get rid of it. And that's one thing that I noticed is that the mounts or like the, the system of shock mounts is going to be important. In fact, if you really look into it, a lot of the GoPro footage that you see that looks so excellent, um, well, as I'm considered, or as I consider it, all of that's shot with the GoPro, but the outrigging gear from that, the the mounts and the systems that are used to kind of clamp that camera to something, I think are... Uh, on a higher level or a more professional level than the stuff that you get in the store you see often. They did the same thing. Apple did the same thing a while back where uh, I think they posted a commercial that was all video that had been shot on the iPhone. That's true. It was all shot with the sensor that is the iPhone camera sensor. And it was in an iPhone, but the iPhone was put into like a jib and a, a, you know, a big crane and a, just a lot of professional, high-end, very expensive, multi-thousand dollar camera equipment. Um, that's supposed to allow you to get these tracking shots, allow you to get these overhead shots, these gimbals, these like nice smooth pans and things. So all of that was um, exterior to the camera sensor. And uh, I guess that's kind of an obvious point. Also comes up a lot in GoPro footage. But, uh, but that seems to be kind of something that all gets flattened down into one idea when you really think about it, or when I think about it. If you really think about it, you can separate the two out. But when you just think about the idea of like, oh, I saw this GoPro footage, and you think the camera, but you don't think of all the additional accessories, the additional professional accessories that are difficult to come by that uh, kind of make that shot come together. But if you want to check it out, I put it up on the blog. Um, I think it's like five minutes. It's two clips, the, uh, the four-wheeling and then the uh, four-wheeling. I don't know. It's just me in the truck uh, kind of bouncing around with kayaks on the top and then kayaking uh, through Olali Lake. I put both of those things up, um, which are pretty sweet. I had a fun time. Uh, kind of putting them together. So I guess that's, that's part of it, just kind of putting a few few stock media pieces together. But the cool thing about that trip, what I want to talk to later with Marina about is uh, all the photography stuff that we did. And uh, I thought that was pretty pretty fun. Uh, we made a lot of progress too. I think, uh, I think a lot of my favorite images that I've made this summer have come from this trip. And really, I only shot through one roll of film. And there's probably a dozen images from that that I think are pretty cool. But uh, it's a cool area, that Mount Jefferson a Lally Lake area is pretty nice. There's a nice view. It's a little bit subdued. It's not 
it's not huge. Like if you're used to Trillium Lake, it's probably one a lot of photographers or a lot of Portland area people are, are uh, familiar with a little bit. It's become really popular over the last few years, but the Trillium Lake area is uh, shot a lot where um, you get kind of that south side view of Mount Hood and, and then the lake, you know, so you get the, the lake and the, the foreground and then in the background, you get this really nice image of, uh, of Mount Hood back there. And the proximity of the lake to the mountain, it all seems to be a bit closer than I think what O'Lally Lake and Mount Jefferson were. Um, so you get a little bit of a subdued look at the mountain, but it still looks really cool. And I think the, uh, just the way that it kind of comes across is, is interesting. And it's, it's curious now that I have been there, I sort of noticed that there aren't really that many other photographs or that much other media that I see out there from the Mount Jefferson area. And it seems like it's a bit underexplored or a bit underutilized as a, you know, a key landmark feature in the Oregon wilderness. Um, so I bet there's probably a lot of future projects that I can kind of plan out that might go, uh, go well in that area. Um, but it was a good time. It was cool. Really nice. Still, um, mountain lakes. That's a big difference that I'm starting to learn is difference, difference between lakes and reservoirs and, uh, just how they're treated, how well they're maintained, the kind of opportunity you get there. Um, and I think I'd definitely go for lakes most of the time if I can. Um, at least for kayaking and then also for photographing too. I think a lot of the time, I mean, reservoirs can come out well, but if they're in the wrong environment, if they're in the wrong place, and especially this year in Oregon, all the reservoirs, since the water table is so low, the reservoirs are very empty. That was another thing. We went to Detroit Lake on the way, the way down, kind of coming in towards Salem from, uh, from the mountains there. You come into the town of Detroit and then, well, I think it's the Detroit Reservoir. It's one of the rivers. It's dammed up and it's backed up. And there's a, a lot of, tourism kind of in that area to sort of um, take advantage of the body of water that they have there. And uh, it's often really popular in the summertime, still really popular, but out of maybe the four or five boat ramps that I saw, only one of them is open because the water level is hundreds of feet lower than it normally is. So you look out at the marina that's normally there. We pulled up to one, we look out to the marina and the marina where other boats may be floating out, you know, like the dock where all the boats would kind of be held or, you know, parked up and people go into the restaurant, that sort of thing. That marina that would be floating out on the water that you could walk out onto, the little walk path that you walk out to the boat on, that's all resting just flat on the dry ground, maybe 50 feet below it normally would be. Um, which is pretty strange. I was, I was surprised to see it. And as you kind of drive by, you look out and you see this little grid work that's out on the ground that's just kind of all of the marina stuff sunken onto the, onto the floor of the lake bed. Um, so we found another spot kind of on the far side and checked that out. But the low water level is a little bit tricky and doesn't really end up being that becoming to uh, good photographs. So, uh, so that's kind of a, a little bit of, I don't know, perspective on what we were seeing. Um, but as I see it, yeah, the Mount Jefferson area, really cool. had a great time up there. A lot of, uh, a lot of work with the big stopper, that filter that I've been working with and a little bit of what I talked about last week when I was, uh, when I was working on some photographs, but it's really kind of opened up a few new opportunities to, to shoot some interesting stuff, um, under a few different lighting conditions and letting, uh, letting yourself sort of crank the F stop up to like F 22 and then drop your shutter speed down to like around a minute or so, uh, just even a midday or, or two or three or four minutes if it's uh, shadows or, or evening light. 
um, has been pretty cool. And there's a lot of sort of surreal looking environments that you can get from that. And I'm really happy with the handful that I have. I have a, a few from, from O'Lally Lake kind of looking up in the evening uh, during a bit of that purple light, that blue light that starts to come in uh, during sunset. Um, so I try to put that together or kind of compose that as best I could and shoot a handful of photographs of it. But there's a few variants and uh, I really like all of them. I think it's going to be fun to go through. And I've been working on editing through them for a little bit. It's only, what, 24, 25, you know, on this roll of film. Um, but yeah, just kind of processing through them. We uh, got them developed a few days back when we uh, got back from the trip and uh, been working on uh, with Marina. We've been working on scanning in with the Prime Film uh, 7200 film scanner that I have um, and then dropping that onto the Mac and then continuing to work on it in Lightroom from there. And so that's kind of how it comes together. It comes in on film from the Nikon F4 that I've got and then it goes to development and then I get the negatives. I bring the negatives home. I uh, put them in the trays and then I manually go through and scan each of these negatives uh, through this film scanner. And I do color correction for each negative, which works pretty well. The software that I'm using now to do the capture is so much more efficient than the other software that I'd had before. So I really like the uh, the quality the film look that you get out of it. It's a lot better. It's more calibrated to uh, to the way that film, I think, would really look if you just got the picture developed. So there's not as much post-processing work that I have to do. Um, and being that these images are coming out, at least right now, they're coming out into a TIFF format uh, when I when I render the scan. Um, so there's not as much flexibility I find when I drop it back into Lightroom. Um, if I, if I pull the, the TIFF images back into Lightroom, it doesn't seem like I have that headroom that I'd have with the DNG file or that raw file that I would have in the past. And I don't, I think the software is capable of rendering out a raw file, but as I've sort of noticed before, there's too, or there's enough complication with that. Uh, that it might not really make it worth it. I think I'd end up dealing with like 50 or 60 megabyte files, you know, on the low end, um, which maybe I should take the chance on. It'd be worth it, I suppose. But I'm <laughs> getting into another um, objective that I have. It's going to be going back through, what, the last three years of uh, a film that I've shot. So all these these rolls, these negatives, these archival sheets that I have with the uh, the negatives cut and slid into, uh, I'm going to try and go back through. I have a, a drawer full of them right now. I'm going to try and go back through that and then do these high quality scans of each of those old images and then try and kind of bring new life to some of those photographs. Because I remember when I got it, I had, you know, that maybe one and a half, two megapixel scan that I got on the CD. And that's the, the only digital copy I've ever really been able to work with. So the book I put together working with film, that was all from these two megapixel scans. And when you drop it into Photoshop or you drop it into Lightroom, there's really not as much color correction as you can, you can apply to that two megapixel image. And they're only then good for web production stuff. I printed a few of them. They look really, they have a lot of grain in them. Part from the film, part because the image has been interpolated and expanded and blown up, you know, I think well past what it really should be. Um, so that's a project that I have coming up and probably be, I don't know, most of the fall, it's a couple years of photographs and it's a long process to try and scan through something. So it seems like even if you're working fast, the most you could get done in a day at a reasonable pace would be one roll of film a day. I suppose if I did that, I could get through, I don't know, in a couple months or so, but I probably won't be keeping up to that pace. 
Um, so it'll be kind of an interesting long project and I'm hoping that I can pull a lot from that back catalog or just a lot of prints really. That's kind of what I hope to do is take a lot of these film images that I already know I like and that I feel have, um, well, they're just strong photographically. I think a lot of the best stuff that I have in my portfolio is from film and it's been unfortunate for a long time so far because I haven't really been able to pull the most out of that film negative. And now because I still have these negatives, and I can just go back and redevelop everything I can um, from that negative, uh, that piece of negative. So that's kind of cool. I, I can just go back to the original source. And I can pull a new scan from that in the highest quality that the technology of the day will allow me to. And I think that'll be kind of interesting, especially in a few years. I wonder what it'll be like in 15, 20 years when, uh, well, <laughs> 15, 20 years from now, maybe, uh, maybe film in every way will just kind of have this extinguished itself and you know no longer exist or uh, be so incredibly expensive because no one produces the uh, equipment for it or the film for it or the scanners for it anymore that the technology will really never escalate from where it is right now but if it does continue to which my hope is it'll be interesting in 20 or 30 years uh, when i can go back in with whatever fantastic new technology exists at the time um, to rescan all of these old negatives that i have in the super high quality um, method or format or whatever it may be in the future. Um, so it's kind of a curiosity, but I'm not sure. I think after I get this, uh, this single set scan done, I'll probably be happy to just work on that digital archive from that point on, unless there's a, a strong reason. But that's the other thing too. You know, you, you kind of, you go through time, a couple of years pass and you look back at the photographs you're making in 2011, 2012, 2013, now that it's 2015. And you go, man, there's like all these different things I've kind of learned since then or different ideas that I have that uh, would just seem to make this a better composition, better color, more natural, more human, more interesting. All of that kind of comes together, that kind of element of a human subject or human composition. I think all of that's pretty uh, interesting how you just learn the subtleties to it. You can make a sharp image, you can make a well-exposed image, but it takes a long time to really understand why you're making a compelling image. Even if you as a photographer, like I have and so many times, and like, man, what a great photograph that is. But uh, really over time, you, you sort of find out, man, uh, there's a lot of mistakes, a lot of choices that I made at that time that I'd really do differently now. And it's just sort of things that you kind of know more, almost like a simple level. So uh, that's most of everything I've got to talk about for this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in once again to hear it. And I'll check with in with you guys again soon. Thanks.